Welcome to the Sexy Shift Podcast. I am Ozzy Osbourne. Yes, that's really my name. And I'm a love and connection, emotional healing coach, and the co-founder of the Be Do Have Method. I teach people how to get out of their shit and into a shift that creates love, happiness, and freedom in their life. Are you ready to bring sexy back? Welcome to episode one. Wow, I've been waiting to create this podcast for a very long time. And I was asking myself, what would I start with? And I think the best thing to do is to introduce myself to you and let you know what I made up about love. Because my truest desire is to, my vision for the world is for everyone to know that they are love, that they're loved, and that they are, they get to have love and they get to they get to share it. And that being said, at some point I made something up about love that got me to to today. So I figured I could start by telling you my childhood story and where I came from and how I made up a story. And as you know, we're human beings that are really great storytellers and we weave tales that would probably make our grandparents turn in their graves. So brace yourself for my story. And I am excited to share vulnerably with you my heart and who I am so that in later podcasts and later episodes, I will be bringing on people to share their story about how they, what story they made up and what had them retell their story from a different perspective and shed some light on what had them come out of feeling stuck, feeling unwanted, feeling negative, feeling low, whatever it is that happens to us at some point in our life as adults when we decide that we've had enough and what it takes for someone to have the courage to step into something that's uncomfortable, something that's new and create beauty, magic, love in their life. And make it sexy. So yeah, my intention is to make it sexy, make it playful, and and let people know that vulnerability does not have to feel heavy, right? Vulnerability can be playful, can be sexy, and I'm about to create a movement to bring sexy back into vulnerability, intimacy, and love. So put your seatbelt on and get comfortable. Whatever it is that you're doing at this very moment you're meant to be here. So here's here's where I began. So I was born in Israel to parents, uh, both of which were kids or I guess siblings, no kids, they were kids, of, of parents. So my grandparents hailed from World War II and they're both from Poland. My mom was actually born in Poland. My dad was born in Israel. And both sets of grandparents are war survivors. My mother's, I know more about my mother's parents than I do about my dad's parents, but my mom's parents both respect, I was going to say respectfully, I'm not sure if that's an appropriate word for this, but um, both lost their families uh, to the war to the, uh, the horrible, horrible atrocity that they, uh, that they experienced. And my mom was born after the war 
And she was born to parents who were, I guess I would say, distrusting of the world as they should have been because of what they experienced. And she, I'm assuming, I actually haven't sat down with my mom and and talked to her about this, but I'm assuming that one of the things that came up for her was, was the need to prove herself to her, her, prove her trust to her parents because they, they came from a war that, that had them not trusting anyone, um, justifiably so. And they were strict with how they wanted to raise her and, and she became very rebellious at some point. Anyway, at some point she moved to Israel, met my dad, I'll spare you the details, and had uh, shortly thereafter I was born. And I don't quite remember my early, early stage. And I always admire people who remember themselves when they were between a year old and, and older. I, I don't have a lot of memories of being that young. But I do know that, and I do remember memories of uh, when my sister was born and the feeling of not being wanted. Um, my mom was, I experienced my mom as very angry, frustrated, sad. There's a lot of depression for her. There's a lot of, there's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of, I, I just recall her not ever being happy. And my dad wasn't around that much. My dad served in the army and, and was gone for the most part from what I recall from my memories. And I grew up in a home that was volatile, very loud, a lot of yelling, a lot of anger. And what I made up about love at that point was that I had to earn my love and I had to earn it by walking on eggshells. So love, I never, I never got that, that, that attachment, that healthy attachment that people talk about when it comes to love from zero to seven. And I experienced abuse from my mom. My mom was uh, with her anger, wasn't able to, and her fear, wasn't able to quite know how to raise me. I was a very inquisitive child. I wanted to know why a lot. I wanted to know. um, I was very curious. I was, I, I wanted to know the, 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 the ins and outs of everything and experienced a lot of, a lot of pushback from my mom because that, that tapped into her control. She couldn't control me when I was asking questions and she could, didn't have a lot of patience for me. And I just remember feeling so many times a, a wave of sadness uh, that I'm not wanted. I, there were a lot of very, a lot of strict rules and a lot of um, hitting, and a lot of not feeling loved. I don't ever remember feeling loved for my mom. And when my sister was born, my sister was around, my my sister got a lot of the love. My sister witnessed my mom's anger and her abuse towards me, and I can only imagine what it was like for her watching her older sister taking the brunt of, of a lot of it. And I would imagine emotionally she took the brunt because she at some point may have felt guilty to have seen me going through that. And I remember myself um, 
the need to please, right? Because pleasing and 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 making people happy was what I thought was going to earn love for me. And there were so many moments I remember as a, as a child that I just second guessed what my place in this world was. I remember asking myself, why am I here? What is my purpose at a very, very young age? And at some point at age, by age 10, my mom decided that we were all going to move to the United States. And I remember having these big dreams of being an actress. To me, Los Angeles was about Hollywood. Hollywood was about about stardom and being famous. And I thought that I was going to have my big break. I was going to have a horse. I always dreamed of having a horse. And I dreamt of being a movie star. And that sort of kept me excited about moving to a new place, while at the same time fearful because I didn't know what what to expect. We had limited, I had limited English. My mom spoke fluent English. She grew up here. And I didn't have a lot of I didn't have a lot. I didn't have any friends coming here, so then I had to make new friends. So that that on its own was a lot. I was coming into the end of fourth grade, going into fifth, and that's when people had already established relationships and friendships, and I sort of came in at the end, barely speaking English, and felt that that I the pressure of of catching up. <coughs> Excuse me, and at the time I did not have a name that a lot of people had. My full name is Osnet and people didn't know how to pronounce my name and I was embarrassed by it. I remember feeling a lot of shame and embarrassment about who I was and and that I didn't I couldn't keep up. And the the condition at home continued in that it didn't feel safe for me. I didn't feel safe at home. I didn't feel safe with my mom. I didn't feel safe. My dad my dad was close with me. I I looked up to him. I really loved him. I loved his kindness. But I also felt a sadness. At a very young age, I felt that I was able to, I had the ability to feel other people's feelings so much so that I discovered at a later age, and I'll talk more about it in, in a later episode, I discovered that because I had to watch every move it wasn't safe for me in my home. And I didn't know my mom was going to explode or she was just going to ignore me or what what would happen. And so I developed this, this keen sense of awareness. I was aware of every move that everybody did. I was, I was almost like a detective. I was able to kind of watch my environment to make sure that it's that it wasn't dangerous. And so with that came this, this innate uh, understanding and empathic feeling towards other people. When people showed an expression on their face, I learned to make meaning of it because of what my mom, um, what I experienced with my mom. And the, the ability to read people um, became almost, almost like a burden. While I felt people's feelings, it felt a lot. It felt heavier. It felt very depressing for me. And... I'll fast forward in, in saying that the the safety in my home didn't didn't change other than it got worse. And at some point around junior high time, um, I think it was, oh, actually, right when I was starting high school, I a friend of mine uh, noticed a bruise on me and reported it to to authorities. 
And I remember uh, DCSF showing up at the house, knocking on the door. And I remember feeling very scared, very scared that I was going to be taken away, that I was going to get my mom in trouble and that something bad was going to happen. And while I I loathed the feeling that I always had, feeling unsafe and, and not feeling loved and always needing to, to get attention in the wrong way in order to get love, but never getting it. I was still very scared to get my mom in trouble. There was still enough love that I, I cultivated and I didn't want to get in trouble. And it, you know, they, I lied to them and told them, I think I made up a story. I don't remember exactly what story I made up, but I made up a story just to get them to leave. And I remember my dad at some point having a conversation with her. They had a fight about it. And she didn't even look scared. She didn't look scared of the possibility that I may, may be taken away. Almost, I almost sense a, a, a feeling of relief if I were to leave, that that was going to solve her problem. So sure enough, that night, or maybe shortly thereafter, I recall a conversation she had with him that I eavesdropped on where she basically threatened him and said, either I leave or she leaves. And... Again, that that created a story for myself that I'm not loved and I'm not wanted. And I'll remind you that the relationship that my mom had with my sister was was unhealthy on in its own right. However, how I saw it as a child, I saw it as her being loved, her being adored and cherished and spoiled where I was I was the the black sheep of the family. And my dad my dad wanted everything in his power. He, he, he tried to find anything in his power to keep the family together. And so the family was, for him, was very important. And he didn't want to break it up. And at that point, he had to make a decision. He had to make a decision on either he was going to keep the family intact or he was going to work on his marriage. And so he chose to work on his marriage and asked me if I could find somewhere else to to live. And maybe it was a friend. And sure enough, the friend that had reported my, my bruise, um, her family was, was happy to take me, to take me in and, and happy to provide me with a warm home and, and a place to stay while my dad figured it out. And I remember that they had an agreement and the agreement for them was that my father was going to give a monthly payment to offset the cost of me living there. And I remember feeling this empathic feeling of, oh my God, this responsibility that my dad is going to have to somehow hide money to pay for me because my mom didn't want me and he wanted to make sure that I was okay, but how is he going to pay for me without telling her. And I remember that 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 feeling of of guilt and worry for him. And <coughs> I'll fast forward once again. I don't recall exactly what happened, but that family asked me to leave about a year into living there and I moved in with my grandparents. And remember my grandparents were quite old and also um in you know um there were war survivors and they had a lot of uh, interesting 
I'm not sure what to call it, but they had an interesting view on life, a, a different view on life. They're very strict. There are certain things, the lights couldn't be on there. Certain noise would set them off. I mean, they had a lot of uh, PTSD from the war and I was a teenager that felt unwanted and I was living in a house with two elderly uh, beings and I made the best of it. I remember playing cards with my grandmother, helping her cook and watching Little House on the Prairie um, as well as Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. That was some highlights from, from that time of my life. And my parents ended up uh, I finished high school and my parents ended up, my mom didn't speak with me. Um, my dad did. And my parents ended up divorcing when I started college. And so that, that's pretty much, <coughs> excuse me, my childhood. And I'm getting choked up, but not because of the story because, well, maybe it is because of the story. Hell, why not? Isn't it interesting that every time I speak about my past, because I don't often exercise that that part of me about speaking about my past, that I go into a coughing fit. So no coincidences, but I believe because the the emotion is so deep about what I had gone through and that deep, deep seated feeling of not being loved, wanted, and not being worthy. <clears throat> is so deep in, in me that when I do speak about it, it does, it does release in a form of a cough because part of the, one of the things that, one of the things that I didn't mention, uh, as part of the punishments that I, that I experienced with my mom was her withholding speaking to me. So using my voice was something that I, that was taken away from me. So my voice is important to me today. And it took a long time for me to understand and to grow my voice and to be able to use it in a safe and trusting way using courage. And up until then, I didn't have the courage because speaking to me would mean I would get punished. And my mom certainly took that, that from me at the time, uh, for her own, her own fears or her own, um, her own, not sure what to call it other than just, I would just say she was in fear and her way to control something was through me and controlling, not speaking to me, controlling, taking away my, my power, uh, was something that she knew to do. You know, Maya Angelou says a really beautiful quote, which is when you know better, you do better. And so I truly today believe that my mom just didn't know better and I have forgiveness for her today that I learned to cultivate and I learned to, to grow and, and I have no ill will towards my mom. And so anyway, to continue the story from, from my grandparents, I went to college and I studied child development and theater and college was an opportunity for me to explore life, to explore relationships and in, in sort of like create my own autonomy right? I was very dependent on uh, my life as a child up until 
I was complete with high school and my relationships were very volatile when I was growing up as well, because nothing felt safe. I didn't know what was, what was okay. I didn't know if my friends were mad at me or I would make up a lot of stories based on my experience of, of my mom. When my mom would be mad, there was a certain look in her face. And so that meant she didn't love me. And so I would take that story and I would create that with in our, in, within my friendships. So growing up, I was closer to my teachers than I was to, to, to kids my age, to my peers. But by college time, I learned to socialize in a different way. I learned to have autonomy. I learned to be on my own. I was in a dorm. I remember being in a dorm with three other roommates. And I just created a different life for myself. It's a, it's a whole different chapter for me where I got to experiment with who I am outside of my world of, of sadness and, and worry and, and chaos. <clears throat> so I learned to cultivate different types of relationships with friends. Um, and also a lot of men, a lot of guys. And I, I don't want to say I was in, uninhibited. I was, I was coming from a, just from a different place of feeling free, free from the shackles that my mom put on me, free of, of having my own power and exercising my own voice, but treading lightly. So school was never an easy thing for me. I was so worried about impressing my teachers or getting a good grade that I didn't really feel that, that a lot of the information I was able to retain. And so at college, I actually thought that maybe I had a learning disability. And I went, I remember going to the college counselor and letting them know that there quite possibly might be a learning disability um, that I'd acquired. And what I came to, to find out was that the learning disability was based on my emotional, um, hmm, what's the word to use? I guess my, my emotional state, right? My emotional state was very heightened. Remember it was very heightened because I was, I was always looking for what's dangerous, what's safe for me. Right. And so the learning disability was really based on me not feeling safe in my environment. And so I was always in my head, always worrying rather than trusting and retaining information. Because I, because of what my mom drove into my brain, which is I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not pretty enough. All those stories came, came, um, came to life. So by college, my my grades were okay, but not strong enough, and. I remember feeling that I couldn't cut it, that that college wasn't for me, that the information was just above my head and I wasn't really able to retain a lot of the information, even though I really loved studying about children, mostly mostly because I wanted to study childhood education and, and understand where I came from and how my childhood shaped up and why. If you're hearing a pause, it's because I'm taking <clears throat> my time drinking my water so that I could not go back into a coughing fit. Anyway, <clears throat> I discovered um, my own way of learning and what worked for me and and continued my studies. The earthquake hit, at, at the big earthquake in Northridge hit. I lost my dorm and 
I decided not to go back. And I got a job and continued on my journey. And and thereafter, some of the relationships that I attracted up until, I guess, in my early 20s were (coughs) people that, or men, I should say, that weren't exactly trustworthy. Remember, I learned that that I couldn't trust anyone. And so I was attracting people that were not to be trusted and I didn't know where I stood. And so I, I sort of, even with my friendships, um, I remember with my best friend, um, not trusting, not trusting that she had my best interests at heart and, and not finding my, my groove in it. And I remember one of my friends moving in with me and then, and then another best friend, and her became friends. And I just remember feeling betrayed. Betrayal came up for me a lot, actually. Um, and and today I know that when your paradigm, and by the way, a paradigm is what you believe. Uh, it sort of is, it becomes your journey, becomes your, your operating system where you come from. So my paradigm has always been learning how to trust in this world, learning how to trust through betrayal, learning how to trust through through inappropriate relationships, and what I mean by inappropriate, I mean unhealthy relationships. And, and so that was what I was attracting. And I had no idea that, that that was why. But then I made up a story about I'm not good enough to be in a relationship that's serving me or that's healthy. And again, that became another story. So as you see, I made up a lot of stories, and as I'm sure you do. And if you're listening to this and this resonates with you, you can – probably relate to (coughs) this idea that we as human beings make up a lot of stories and a lot of those stories then become our reality. And I teach people today how to change their stories and create stories that are serving them and moving them forward because life in life, we get to move forward, right? So I believe it was 1980, 1998 is when I met my, um, I didn't know it then, but then soon, soon to be my, my husband at the time. (coughs) And I, um, I thought that I met somebody who got me. I thought I met somebody who understood me and, and I was so excited I was so excited to be in a relationship uh, for the first time in my life where somebody was going to accept me for who I was. And little did I know what was to going to unfold for the next 14 years. And that's something I will talk about in my next episode. You'll get to know a little bit more about who I was, how I attracted, who I was in my marriage, how I attracted my partner, and what happened. It's actually a really great story. And then in the third episode, I will talk about where I am today and how I got here and what unfolded from this beautiful story of my of my past and this beautiful story that I am not angry at or not disappointed at and I'm not I have zero regret about what I had gone through. In fact, I feel like it it really solidified my message and my purpose in this life 
And I have nothing but appreciation and love for everything and everyone that I had experienced growing up. And I can't wait to share my story with you with my 14-year relationship with my then-husband. And that's where I'm going to cap it off. Thank you for joining. And I'm excited to continue to share more stories with you. And thank you for listening. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Sexy Shift Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and share on iTunes, Spotify, and Facebook. For those of you who are ready to make the sexy shift today, join my community at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash sexy shift. Keep it sexy and see you next time.